All right. Well, hey, fellas, welcome back to another episode of the, li- uh, the Farm Live. We're sitting down with Justin Stone today. My man, thanks for jumping on with us. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No, it's good to see your face. I haven't seen you in a while. Last time I saw yeah. you. Last time I saw you, your daughter was hopping into the living room like a bunny. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, I think she's been on every Zoom call I've had. We, uh, we had one with Rizzo on yesterday. He was talking to our minor league players, and that was like she couldn't believe she saw Rizzo on the on the screen. <laughs> That's, That's so awesome. His ears popping up. <laughs> um, Justin, usually when we start the shows, we'll kind of have you walk us through your journey. Um, obviously, to this point, I think your story is pretty well documented. Yeah, let's um, skip that. Because uh, we only have 40 minutes. Let's talk about yeah. something substantive. We're going to skip all that stuff. I think, I think we're going to tee you up with the first one. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your facility out there in Chicago? Um, yeah, so we started off my business. I was just a, a one-man show at the, at the beginning, and you guys can both relate to that. Like, you're grinding out lessons. I was renting a cage. Yep. And then I figured out pretty quickly that that's not sustainable to actually have a business. That's just earning money. Yep. Um, so my first hire was a non-baseball guy that's now our COO. And we had a seven-cage facility that we had exclusive rights to. And I had about three instructors. Now we've grown into a 50,000-square-foot facility, um, 26 cages, a full rogue weight room, 50 employees. It's, uh, it's quite an operation. And then if you know, we're, we're often known for our, like our biomechanics lab and a lot of the research that we do, trying to just learn more about hitting, man. Like there's still a lot we don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, we're going to dive into some of this. And I know, I know uh, some of the things with me, me and you've talked about this all the time, but um, I can't tell you how many hitters that I messed up, <laughs> how many mistakes that I made. Um, and some of the things I learned from every single day, right, of maybe just saying the cue at the wrong time or why this certain thing, you know, wasn't a great idea for this player or this type of mover, et cetera. Right. Um, you know, can you kind of touch on some of those, maybe those early mistakes that you've made yeah. and things that you've learned I, from? I, I think the one, and I, I've said this on a few podcasts this over the course of the last month or two, the one that I'm kicking myself for that there was no excuse for me to miss it because that my master's degree is in basically the human body yeah. is not relating the human body in the individual aspects of the body to the swing. So before I started working for the Cubs full time, I think just about every major league team came through our facility at one time or another over the course of the last year and a half and just said, hey, can you tell us what we need? What, what do we need to buy? And I said, honestly, the first thing you need to do is get all your instructors either certified or you know, what, what are, take one of the programs that, that Greg Rose runs at On Base U, but get a better understanding of the human element and the physiological element of hitters and throwers. And so that was the, the very first step I did um, in our Cubs like coaches training is I put everybody through a physiology course that, mm. that just kind of created like hitting physiology. What do we need to know about the body to understand that link going into hitter? So to answer your question, long story long, I wasn't doing that 10 years ago. I was teaching what I felt like were good drills based on what we were evaluating that hitter was doing. But the human body is prepared to throw or hit based on its previous experience, whether that's, you know, muscle deficiencies and biases, the way you've trained, the sports you played. And it really goes super deep into the way you evolve as a human from crawling to walking and, and, you know, obviously an athletic skill. So you have to connect that piece of it to be a really effective coach and get under the, 
the things that we see with our eyes get under the skin a little bit more um, and start to pair how they move to what do they need to be doing at the plate to be more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, at what point along that 10 year span did you kind of realize you might be going about that the wrong way? Like what was that realization moment where you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this probably the best way I can. It, all of the conventions I've gone to over the last, I don't know, five to eight years, um, like in the ABCA, really that one comes to mind. I would always seek out the golf guys before I would the baseball guys because they, at the time, they were just way ahead of us. Um, and I'll be honest now, I don't think that's the case anymore. I know everybody says, the, oh, golf's way ahead of baseball. I don't think they are anymore. Yeah. I think – I think we've closed that gap pretty well, like yeah. the work you guys have done and Bleak have done and Kyle have done. That gets, um, we're closing the gap. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was at that time, I think five or eight years ago, I sat down with Dr. Scott Lynn, who we have a close relationship with the, the Swing Catalyst software and force plates that we use. And he was, he was talking about just how many different sequences and ground force profiles that they see and it all reverts back to the initial assessment they do with the athlete and it all ties back like you should be able to, to read data and tell you what their movement assessment is going to look like mm. or i should be able to read a movement assessment and very accurately predict what the data is going to look like mm -hmm. and that's that's a piece of like yeah i'm not doing that i need to be doing that so yeah gotcha yeah, you touched on when um, your initial response, and now you're full-time with the Cubs. Um, it's been a little bit short-lived to this point, but what do you think is the biggest thing that you've learned uh, to this point being with the Cubs full-time? Yeah, I th that's a really good question. I, I touched on that with Joey when we were deciding what we want to talk about today, and I think this will clarify a lot of arguments of what professional players or coaches would often stereotype facility guys with. Yeah. And what facility guys think, think that pro ball is missing out on. So it's interesting to be on the perspective of both ends on that. And I've been on both ends of it for a while, but, you know, never more so than I am today. So when we're in a facility and I have players coming to me in the offseason, we really have an infinite amount of time to mm -hmm. work on whatever it is we're going to work on. And for most people that are coming to me, that's, that's going to be mechanics. Um, do we work on approach with every athlete that comes in? Absolutely. And I feel like I learn more about approach from them than what they take from me. And it's just spurring that conversation. Like a lot of times with professional hitters, I talk or we talk, it's conversational way more than we hit. Mm -hmm. um, but I have an infinite amount of time to get that right. Right. And it's one-on-one -on -one. In pro Bowl, You don't have time for that. Right. It's uh, you have 150 hitters. You get one-on-one -on -one time in early work, but that's not still every day with certain athletes. So the swing that they come in with into spring training, they've worked on all off season. You can fine tune, make some tweaks. And we have a little bit of time and say, you know, three or four weeks to try to make that better. But at mm -hmm. some point they have to stand in the dirt and compete against a guy that's throwing 96 of them. And yeah. whatever swing that they're taking into the dirt with them is their swing, like good or bad, efficient or non-efficient, they have to compete with it. So you have to figure out really quickly how you're going to do that. And you do it by formulating an approach that allows them to be successful, minimizing the things they don't do as well, and try to accentuate what they do do well. Mm -hmm. So you hear professional coaches and ex-players talk all the time that I didn't really talk about mechanics when I was a player or really think that much about a can mechanics or my hitting coaches didn't preach mechanics 
it was largely all approach and they're right. They're right. So that's the piece of it. Like it's the facility part of it is way different than what you're doing competing in a, in a pro season because largely it is w way more about approach because you're wholesale changing somebody's swing or making huge mechanical overhauls in season, you're in a really bad spot. That's like worst case scenario. Um, so so the, the attention that goes into formulating a player's plan on the mental side and the approach side is super important for those guys. And it is something you can do in a shorter amount of time. And it is still conversational. The, from the mechanic side, it's more about building their routines and getting their each individual routine to make sense for the, um, again, the inefficiencies they might have that we can build that into a drill scenario for them. So that's, that was really interesting to me to, for me to see. And I've largely stayed out of those arguments of which one is right. Because again, there's, there's, nobody's right right we're all like hitting is so personalized that what you're doing for one guy isn't right for the for the other one right so it's like why, why are you arguing about this but the one thing that i'll say that i spend way more time talking approach with professional hitters in that type of environment that i do spending one-on-one -on -one time with them working the mechanics in a cage yeah yeah that's what I was going to say that as well. One of the things I've been uh, talking about is with that is like, and, and you obviously know from that, that side of things from the private sector as well, is that anytime we're talking approach, you're talking mechanics at the same time, but in a different way, almost like an external, right? Like, uh, would you agree with this of being like, again, if I'm thinking right center, that's going to change how yeah, I, that's, that's well said, yeah. right? If I, if I'm thinking down and away, or I'm thinking breaking ball down and away, that's going to change how I move, right? Like, now it doesn't mean that I'm thinking internally, right? It's almost like an external cue. Yeah, right? I would say the same thing. It's, yeah, it's a, and you're you're, you're reducing putting an external cue within the approach. Yeah, yeah, within the approach. I mean, obviously, and sometimes it's you know, obviously we're talking at a different level when we're like, hey, you know, you know, when guys are like, I'm gonna sit on a curveball, and then if he doesn't throw me, like you know, but still, when you're sitting on curveball again, that changes how you move because you're again adapting to that task. So I think in, in one way or another, you're still talking about human movement. You're just it's just in a different way, right? Yeah. Like we think it's just like a mental. Yeah, I would agree with that. How, how your mind works is also change, you know, moving. That's largely coaching, right? You got to trick people into getting them to do what you need them to do, which is For what sure. drills are too. You're tricking the body to yeah. exaggerate something that it's not currently doing yeah. and hoping that you meet in the middle. Yeah, no, I love it. And, and so the next, I kind of wanted to flip flop this thing because I really think uh, by spending some time with you, um, I look, first off, Obviously, really good hitting guy. Obviously, all those other things. But what I think most people overlook, and one of the biggest things that I admire by spending time with you, is a lot to do with more so your leadership than your ability just to coach or to work with athletes. And so I wanted to hit on some of this is that I think that a lot of people will look at that and just say, okay, I just want to be a really good hitting coach. But I don't think that you are where you are or, again, have the success you have without this other major piece that I think that you're really good at um, and, and something that I really admire. Which so it's my I appreciate biggest, that because it's not – it's not necessarily conscious, I don't think. I think yeah, 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 it's something yeah. you learn to being a business owner over time or being a part of something bigger. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so I, I have a couple things that I kind of wanted to go through one by one that I, I think are things that I've picked up from spending you know, my, my time that I've spent with you that I, I, I think are lead largely to a lot of the success that you've had and some of the things that you've done. Um, and I kind of wanted you to talk and touch on some of these things um, sure. as I go through. So 
Uh, the first thing is that, you know, I've been, kind of been part of this, like you brought me in on some of this. I've also been there when there's like other biomechanists there or other people, but you constantly are bringing in people that have expertise in an area that maybe you don't have expertise in or you have l less than in, right? And I think that that takes a lot of humility, right, to bring in some of these people, especially in front of your team, in front of these people that you're supposed to be leading. And a lot of people would have a lot of insecurity about that, right? Um, I have a feeling that you you'll see that a lot differently, which is why you continually do it all the time. Uh, why don't you kind of touch on that for a second? Uh, I think it just goes back to wanting to be really good at your job means you're going to have to step outside yourself and get uncomfortable at times. Mm. And that's constantly learning. And you're the same way. Like you're reading books, you're like, you're grasping all these different areas and try to bring it into cohesion to make it, make yourself better and make your team better. And it is just that, man, you can't, you can't be good in this game and have a huge ego uh, about thinking you have this game or hitting figured out because you heard me say this first thing I said on your show today, like none of us have it figured out. We're trying to find a better way. So if there's somebody I can bring into the team and it is that like we all bring something different with my guys at elite that, and I'm going to listen to them all. I may not agree with them. Like Travis is my number one guy and yeah. we don't agree on everything we, we do, but you need, you need that guy that's going to push you. And that's what I, when I left um, the White Sox organization and started Elite, the one thing I really worried about was like, okay, I don't have this bigger su support staff around me now that I can learn from and bounce off ideas. Because I learned a ton by just observing. I got to watch like Canerico and Tommy prepare whenever I wanted to go in the cage at two o'clock and watch these guys, you know, Tommy a Hall of Famer, watch how he prepares and Ichiro and A-Rod when, you know, the visiting team would come in there. I could be a fly on the wall. Like, you'd learn so much. And I was worried that stepping away from that, like, now I'm the guy, right? So who am I going to put around me that's going to allow me to continue to grow? And that worry was very quickly, that fire was put out when I hired Travis because now, like, you're constantly being challenged or thinking a different way. Or when you came in, like, it's – like, I want to hear things that maybe we aren't doing all the time because just that one idea, and maybe you don't take the idea – and it's 100% whole form, you yeah. take something like, ah, oh, you know what? I kind of like that. And you mm -hmm. merge it into with just who you are. So yeah. if you're going to be good at anything, you need to be challenged. You need to, you need to be uncomfortable. And you got to be – there has to be humility in, in there. Now, the people that probably look at me from the outside and they see my face in a lot of different places, they, they probably – my own wife would probably tell me I am an egomaniac. But um, <laughs> at the same time, like, uh, I'm, I'm – I'm a life learner. So that's, yeah. Yeah. Pat yourself uh, on the back for something. That'd be it. <laughs> no, I think I, and I think that's another thing is like, you just did it multiple times. So thanks for already doing the spider web that you're about to walk into. Um, but uh, one of the things that I think that you always do and every time I've been around you, I've seen you do it with multiple people, including me, right. That you've done it and you just, you know, did it there is that one thing you're really good at too, is giving credit to other people. And so one thing, that's one thing that I've noticed too, is that you're always giving like credibility and you're handing out credibility to people like, you know, where they're good. And again, that's another thing that a lot of people don't do well. Like a lot of people are like credibility monsters or like cookie monsters, right? Like they want all the credibility, right? And they don't want to dissipate. I think one thing is like, um, you know, even short times that I've been with you, it's like, you're always trying to hand out credibility to people around you for whatever it is. If it's, you know, who does it, whoever fills their water bottle the best, whatever it is, like, you know, you're, you're constantly giving a lot of credibility out. And I think that that's a big thing for leadership is, you sure. know, again, giving people credibility, giving people that. And, you know, can you touch on that for a second? Yeah, I think it's motivating, right? Like people want to feel like they are doing a good job. And, um, you know, as a business owner, if we are going to flourish, 
I've got to get just like you would with coaching a team. Yeah. I've got to get as much out of these guys and girls that I can. And, you know, feeling like that you are being put down or that you don't have the opportunity to flourish, to bring your unique way of presenting your ideas and be heard and allow those ideas to grow into something else. If you're constantly putting people down underneath you, that will not happen. And the collective unit is not going to grow. Right. So I think like for me to challenge the people that are around me and it's the same style that I would take in to a professional organization. Like it's not about hiring a new position like the director of hitting and all of a sudden like the Cubs are something different than they've been before. It's not that one job. My job is the producer and I need to get as much out of my coaches that I can to to allow, again, their unique skill sets to really come to the forefront and allow me to take care of all the other bullshit and then praise them when they're doing a good job with guys because that motivates them to do it even more and feel good about who they are and their continued growth as professional. So my growth as a professional is determined on how well I can grow the people underneath me and no better way of, of allowing people to, you know, be happy and coming to work every day is like run with your ideas. I'll Mm. corral them. You know, it's my job as the producer they kind of say, let's streamline this idea into something over here that's a little narrower than such a broad focus. And yeah. just helping them through that process, like, oh, man, we see a tangible product out of, out of that. Yeah. And then you feel like you've accomplished something from both yeah. a management style and then the person that completes the job feels a, a sense of accomplishment of finishing a product. Yeah, that's such a hard balance, though. As like a business owner, you want to give people freedom and you want them to have the opportunity to grow, obviously, within the channel and vision that we're going as kind of the company. How do you like manage that as far as like giving people the freedom and the reins to do their thing, but still making sure we're kind of all going in the same direction? Yeah, I, I think it is. Just that. That's, that is my job is to um, you take you brainstorm ideas and you understand, OK, like, for instance, I'll, I'll use a, like a real example. So we have uh, EMG technology right now, and we've done very little research in it. It takes, it's like an hour to set up. Um, I wish I could have done way more than I've done on it so far, because I think we're going to learn a lot from it. However, of all the pieces of technology that we have in the time that we can allocate to it, it's really, really cool. However, like I need my employees to do six other things that we have to get done that also pay the bills. Now we're not trying to stymie growth, but it's like, how are you going to allocate your resources in your time to best produce something that we know can be effective and usable right now? And then you always have those bigger spectrum goals of that is really cool. We do need to do that, but let's just chip away that a piece at a time. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just my job as the owner is to put the people in the right seats of the bus and I've, I've failed at that before, and that's how I learned to become better at it, yep. is don't put a guy that isn't savvy with the computer and stack him with a bunch of admin tasks. Like, they're not going to get done, and then mm. I'm going to have to do it all, right? Or don't put people in positions of leadership to manage other people that aren't comfortable managing or leading, right? So it's like putting the right people in the right places to succeed, and then just checking in with, okay, what, what is, what is your job task look like right now? Like, okay, let's put one. Oh, I know you really want to do three, but let's put three down here to five and let's move two up to one. Yeah. That's kind of what I, what I do. Yeah. Love it. And that I was- failed at that at the beginning. I was, I'm a type A personality yeah. and it's really hard 
for me to step back. And we've done like coaches trainings and stuff and I'll get in there and I'll, I'll present and I want to start like working and I say, I just got to back off or I got to leave the room. Sometimes I'll just completely leave the room because I have to, to let those other people get up and leave. And so it was hard for me at the beginning as a type A personality. No, love that. No, definitely can connect with some of that stuff personally too as well. 100%. Um, and that's, that was one of the things I was going to touch on, which again, you did a great job of touching on already is I was going to say that one thing you do really well also is give a lot of freedom and a lot of empowerment, right? And that's a big leadership trait as well, right? Like your, your goal as a leader is to develop other leaders, right? And yeah. only, and that's the only way that you can, you know, multiply and you could run big organizations. And so like you have to give people empowerment. And one of the things that I talked about as well is like the only way you can empower somebody is by giving them power. Like you have to give them the power to make mistakes. You have to give them the power to learn. Like, and that's hard, right? Because like, you know, like I know the better way and I know that, you know, or I've made that mistake already, right? Not necessarily I know the better way, but I've made that mistake. And, you know, I got to let you kind of run through that way. And like, you know, you to have as much conviction as I do is like by you failing on that thing within a, within a backyard, right? Like I give my dog freedom to run around my backyard, but in my backyard. <laughs> like I don't give them freedom to run around everywhere. Right. Like you got to give constraints, right. They can't cripple the business. They can't, you know, put everybody at risk or hurt an athlete or, you know, some of those other things as and well. And then I think there has to be tangible feedback. Like yeah. I, I need to sit down with each of my employees and coaches and tell them these are areas that you're like, I know it sounds like very corporate, but in, yeah. everybody wants to know how, like we all want to get better. There's, for sure. there's nobody that's going to succeed working for you for a long period of time or coaching for you. That's just collecting a paycheck. Sure. If you're not passionate about what you're going to do. That's going to get exposed. For sure. So people want to know, how can I get better? Like you have to have real conversations, which I do with every single one of my employees, even guys I consider really good friends of mine that have been with me from the start. Like yeah. we have real conversations about, I need you to do this better. And I would want them to do like, if I'm managing poorly, like I would, welcome that same feedback and they would do it right like you feel comfortable enough to say you know i don't agree with you there i think you need to do this better like okay well (laughs) we're not seeing eye to eye right now so let's hash this out yeah Yeah. for sure how how often do you guys have those accountability meetings how often do you do that as a leader Uh, i just a a once a year evaluation with guys yeah yeah i gotcha i've also seen too i mean obviously to add some context there you're constantly giving guys feedback, like as things are happening, you know, but you're talking about like a big evaluation. Yeah. Like a, a real, like a real sit down, like this yeah. is your evaluation. Yeah. It's we're not like, Oh, compensation you know for the year. We're going to yeah. talk about all those things. Yeah, I don't know about that, but you know what? I'll save it from 12 months from now. And we'll talk about it in 12 months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely, I've seen you do some of those. Um, the next thing I was also wanted to touch on as well is obviously like, look, you got a great, uh, you know, family and support system and a lot of different things in that way. But one of the things as well is, you know, I think another thing within success is like people understanding um, some of those like sacrifices, things that have to be put forth, right? Um, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, that's a really good talk. Yeah. Some, some big, you know, sacrifices that had to make, be made early, right? Like they see, they see the tip of the iceberg, right? They no see elite where it is. They see you again as the hitting goal. But like, there's all of these sacrifices that were made underneath. And this is just one that I'm gonna bring up and I'm sure you'll, you know, you know a lot more of your sacrifices than I do. But it yeah. just, it too, as well as like, you know, like, uh, one that you told me as well, like not taking a paycheck from elite for three years, right. That when you started the, the company, right. And then what that takes, right. And you have a support system where that's yeah. you know, possible, yeah, uh, right. But at the same time, like that's still, you're working for three years and not taking any money. Right. <laughs> so like, that's what it took to build. Right. So go ahead and touch on some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think um, that's allowed us to survive COVID as well. Like we have a, have a large cash reserve that I very well could have put in my own bank account. That's just been sitting there for years that 
I'm able to still pay my employees. Like how awesome is that? So it's, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm fortunate that, you know, my, my wife's an attorney, so there wasn't a pressure on me when I started elite to make money mm-hmm. and not everybody has that luxury. Right. Um, yeah. and kind of the same way, even when I, when I took my first job with the white Sox, I came home and I said, I'm going to take this job and I'm taking a pay cut to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. And the big scheme of things that turns into something, I, th- I think I've, I've always been really good with the support staff that I have of thinking long-term. The actions I'm making right now in every professional decision I make, I'm thinking of what is this going to look like in three years? And I'm still doing that today. I did that, you know, in this last big jump that I make, it, it's big picture. Like there were several, it was a hard decision. Like, uh, I mean, I made the right one. And I'm thankful I'm with the Cubs, but there was a big decision I had to make in a short amount of time. That was like a whirlwind. And I like I went, I vetted that really seriously and thoroughly. But I think back to my first job, I made sixteen thousand dollars as a full time Division One coach. Since then, and you get this question all the time from young guys, and I get people, I interview people coming in to be instructors, and they're like, "Well, how much money am I going to make?" It's like that's a big red flag of one of the first questions. I was like, "I'm going to start you off at, you know, twenty five or thirty dollars an hour." I'll say, "It's like you know, when I give lessons myself, I, I make a lot more than that." But Right there to me, I understand, okay, this is not the right person for me because this person has no idea of long-term or what we can do to help develop them. Like, you're going to probably make less here than you'll make in other places because I'm going to teach you a shit ton. And you're going to be surrounded by a bunch of really good people that you're going to learn from. Like, invested. that's how you're investing in yourself, right? So since that $16,000 job as a Division I coach, I've worked about 350 days a year, usually really long hours. I Like, literally, I have two full-time jobs right now. I was at my facility just a second ago, working out a couple pro guys and doing Cubs meetings on the side. You know, like I'm doing two full-time jobs. So you're doing 350 days a year, 12, 14 hours a day. And this is my 21st year. I would say 16 of those years, like I was making a below modest amount of money, you know? Mm. So now, the last five years, you put yourself in a different position because of what you did the previous 16. Yeah, no, I love it. And that's, uh, and that was another thing too, uh, that I wanted to touch on as well. Another big part of your leadership. Um, and I, again, I, I think this is a big piece is people got to want to work for you, right? I mean, they got to want to run for you. They got to want to, you know, execute some of these big aspirations and some of these things that, you know, you bring it to the table, right. And you're pushing the game for it. Um, and one of the ways that I think that you really do this as well, another, you know, branch off of this tree of leadership, um, is your team likes to have fun, right? Like you guys like to have fun, like you make it fun, right? And you guys, there's like- no secret to that. <laughs> so you guys like to have fun. So why don't, why don't you kind of open that up and why you think that that's important and, uh, you know, tell some of the funny. The yeah. Fun- okay. So we take this and this, this was done. This was done consciously. So <laughs> You know how Chicago is in the wintertime. It's like, it's terrible. It's super cold. You can't get outside, but yet it's our busiest time of work year. Like there's people there. That's a real thing of winter depression in Chicago because it's just gray, it's snowy. I know you guys don't have to experience that, but yeah. anytime you think about moving to Chicago, I say, yeah, you need to visit here in wintertime first. But I recognize that our guys are just killing themselves on the floor in the amount of hours that they're putting in. And I sense morale. Like guys are getting burnt out, right? It's, it's February, they've been grinding for a while. And I was thinking about doing a, like a company bonus. And I thought, 
I'm going to bring it up to my guys. Like, I, I got an idea for the company bonus this year. And I sensed it and made this decision to announce it at a time where I thought morale was lowest. And it was around like the end of February and guys are just burnt out. And I said, guys, this year's bonus is the company is going to pay for you to go on a Las Vegas trip together. We're going to, this is the date in May. Your, your tickets are already booked. They didn't talk about anything else for the month of <laughs> March and April, but that And the morale is like through the roof and guys are like laughing and smiling, coming to work every day with it. Just a little bit of extra bounce in their step. And that was, that was a conscious decision that I made and the timing of it when to announce it. Um, like we like to have fun, but there's, there's rhyme and reason. I would have lost employees by yeah. now that have worked for me for 10 years. If it wasn't for that trip, I swear to God, like <laughs> they look forward to it so much, so much that it's like, I can't leave a lead. Like, what am I doing? I'm going to miss out on the Vegas trip. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. No, yeah, love you got that. me sold. <laughs> I, mean, I thought I was going to lose Travis to a big league job this year, like a, in the dugout big league job. And I, I swear he's staying behind us because I told him he couldn't <laughs> come on the Vegas trip. If he takes it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. No. And so, I mean, I, I think this is the thing. I mean, the reason that I brought a lot of that stuff up is I think that that's the, the piece, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge and different, you know, you know, and we talk about this as coaches being like multidimensional, right? Or, or multifaceted or, you know, all, all of these different things. And so I think that that's one of the biggest pieces, right? If you want to run large organizations, it's, and I think it's one thing for me, for example, I can, I could share that as again, when I was a regional manager with Planet Fitness, right? It was one thing, even when I was a GM, right? I went through these stages, right? First year, first year, just working front desk, right? And you think, you know, that's your world. You don't understand what the managers are going through, any of that, right? And then you step up and you're like, wow, now I'm responsible for four people. And then you get, you know, I get the GM and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm responsible for 25 people. And then I'm become regional manager and I'm like, oh man, like, wow, I'm responsible for, you know, all of these people. There's people that I'm responsible for that I have never met at one point, yeah. right? Like had never met at over a hundred and something employees, right? So I had never met, I'm responsible for them. I'm responsible to them right? And taking care of them, making sure that, you know, what's going on in their life. I have no GMs to keep me up to date. And like, again, like I can't be everywhere. Right. And I think that that's one thing that, you know, that, that bringing that forward is, is like understanding that like you can't, you don't know until you get to that, you know, certain, I'm sure you've gone through those stages with your organization of like, you have to upgrade your leadership, you know, as you go, um, because it's, you have different challenges at different points, right? With different amounts of employees, you can do this with five, but you might not be able to do this with 10 or 20 or 50 or a hundred. Right. Yeah, and then this was the first year that I, I would, I still do all the payrolls, even when I was like at spring training and stuff, just like, yeah. I control all the income and any checks that are being written. That's just, that's the best way to like really have an understanding of your business. And there were a couple of people on my payroll. I go, who the hell is this? I don't even know who this person is. Who am I paying? <laughs> and I thought that's like, yeah. You've now set up a tree of other people are managing other people. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, and, it, and again, that kind of scared me at first, right? Like, but I mean, we're realistically, when the company gets to a certain size, that's just reality, right? Like a CEO doesn't know every single, especially like, imagine like the CEO of, you know, let's say like, you know, Walmart or something like that, right? Like, obviously you're going to have, you know, so many employees, there's going to be employees that you have never met, right? Now you're still responsible to them. And I think that that's a, that's a big thing. And I, I, for you, for example, and I think especially for the role that you currently have and how many people you overlook, not only at Cubs, but also at your own facility now. Now you have both of those combined of all of those people that you're responsible to, right? Like that's a big time job um, to be able to do not just one, but to have both. 
And I think that there's no way possible for you to be able to do those things that you're able to do and have the success that you're able to have by just being a good hitting coach. Like yeah. that's just, yeah, you know, I haven't really thought of it. I, I, I've really enjoyed this podcast because I'm getting actual different questions that everybody else has asked me for the past yeah. month. Yeah. I said, like, Joey, this is the last podcast I'm doing. I can't, I'm done <laughs> like, people are getting Justin Stone fatigue. Yeah. But I, I really like the, the angle of questions you've taken here because it, it's not something that I do consciously think about every day, even though I strive to be a good leader because people want to work for you and work harder for you when you are. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, ha I didn't like read a book on how to be a good boss. You know, it's yeah. like just, I think that's the same people skills that make you good in coaching. Yeah. Just knowing how to deal with people and personalities. I, I, yeah. I think, well, go ahead, Bob. Well, I, I was going to say like, it's, I think people have a misinterpretation of leadership and like, personal accountability. Um, you kind of hit on it there that you, you didn't read one book, but like if people want to be Justin Stone and they want to be the leader and they want to get to that position, like what does it look like to develop Justin Stone? How do you do that? Like what's your process look like for 20 years of failing? Right? <laughs> like every, seriously, I've been in coaching for 21 years. You fail a ton, but mm -hmm. you log that the same way a player does and saying next time I'm going to do that better. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the experience that you get in any profession, there is no, and this is another thing that the, the old school baseball guys say, there is no substitute for experience. And that's right. There yeah. is no, just a second. I told you, it's going to, she was going to <laughs> special appearance, baby. Special appearance. Um, there, there is no substitute for experience. And I, and, but I've done a good job. Of, okay. Thank you. Just one minute. Please. <laughs> Love it. Dog ate the, the other girl's food. Um, <laughs> but it's it's learning from those logging it and then making a better decision the next time it's you're, you're continuing to grow like you gotta i say in hitting your, your body is always sending you messages it's up to the athlete to receive those messages that feedback and use it those that are deaf to it have a hard time making adjustments as a business owner you constantly have to get that feedback and that feedback may be a spreadsheet of your bottom line it may be feedback you're getting from your customers but then what am I going to do with that? Like, mm -hmm. I got to make a decision on, is this okay? Am I satisfied with this? Is this who we're going to be? Or can we do it better? Yeah, mm -hmm. got it. No, yeah. And, I, and we said thing, we got, we got a couple more minutes left. It, it just hit me. And, um, you know, I was just going to touch on that. It's just like you're saying is that, for example, um, that's how you learn, right? From making, just like a player, right? You made these mistakes, you learn, you make those adjustments and with that. But also too, a lot of these things that you do well, the reason that I'm even aware of them is because I am a reader, right? And a lot of the leadership things, like a lot of things that you do well naturally are things that are outlined in like leadership books of like, again, like the empowerment and you know, like how to go about this and how to funnel those things, right? Like, it's like, it's like uh, nature, you know, we always talk about like, like nature doesn't know science. It's just nature, right? We, yeah. We're the one that breaks it into sciences. That's true. Same thing, yeah. same thing with like leadership, right? Like that's how the book was written was that they started looking at really good leaders, right? And they started to find these common attributes that sure. all of them did well. And then like, you know, started to put like a science behind leadership, right? And so- I don't um, know that that can be completely manufactured though, in my opinion. Yeah. I think no, like, there's oh, intrinsic yeah. traits- 100%. That, that still go back to people skills. And yeah, I mean, especially too like- Self-awareness, like, right? Like oh, we always see in baseball players, yeah. like our best players are often really self-aware. Yeah. I got some good feeling. I, I'd agree. I, I think that's a big piece is just like you're saying is just like, you know, under, understanding that part of that, that, that self-awareness piece. And like the other part of that, I think a big piece of being a leader is being captivating. And that's one of those intrinsic 
traits of like being able to motivate and like get people to like you, like, you know what I'm saying? Want to work for you, like all those things. Like, you know, that's, that's something that you can definitely learn and get better at. Right. But some people are just naturally more, yeah, sure. you know, captive charismatic or something like that. I, I see that in, yeah. in our profession. Yeah. There's like, I watch people give presentations at spring training. I'm like, man, all fired up now after that, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. like David Ross, our manager, like obviously super charismatic yeah. has all those leadership traits. Like just, he's one of those guys. The first time you hear him speak, you're like, I want to go play for that guy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll run through a wall for that guy. Yeah. For sure. For sure. No. Well, I, uh, Justin, no, I appreciate you uh, jumping on, you know, Bo and I. Yeah, that was fun. I, I, I enjoyed a different angle of question. It's somebody just asking me about uh, K best readings or force plays. Like <laughs> I right. do other stuff. <laughs> I know people are often interested in the, in the technology pieces. So yeah, a, a refreshing uh, podcast, if you want to call it or a webinar, whatever we're doing here, but <laughs> I, this one I enjoyed. So this is going to be my last one for the quarantine at, Send it off a good way. Love it. Send, sending you off in the sunset. <laughs> All right. Thanks, my man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate Take it, Justin. care.